I'm here. Okay, so we've got another cracker for you guys. This week, we're talking about creative writing and journaling and how it works as a tool for change. What the science says and what's best and what we really shouldn't do when we are journaling. We cover it all. We spend a good hour exploring the topic. It's going to be a really useful one if you are a coach and you do use journaling as a way to create change within your client base. There's loads of workable examples and really good information there. So I hope you really enjoy it. Me and Sabrina have a really good time talking about this one. It certainly stretched us a bit because finding data around this subject isn't as easy as you would necessarily think, but because it's a tool that's used by so many and has been used over decades throughout time we thought it'd be a really really good place to start talking about and exploring so without further ado i'm gonna hand you over to us on the flip side and let you enjoy this week's podcast creative writing journaling for healing is dive into writing i guess writing. You're good for it. So it's this Rogue Rogue Podcast. It's me and Sabrina today. And we have been looking at creative writing as a method of healing. And we've been looking at the research as best we can. As best we can. (laughs) (laughs) Paywalls notwithstanding. Yeah, right. So it's an interesting one because I think a lot of it, from what I've seen, it's inconclusive how well it can work. So but I did think it was really, it was still very interesting. So what did you find? I think it's, I think it's fair and safe to say there's a general positive outcome associated with writing about emotional stuff. Right, okay. It has to be a traumatic event, maybe, maybe not, maybe just a really stressful event. Um, Something about putting it out on paper and in language seems to be beneficial um, if not to health directly, at least to how you feel. It, it, there's psychological benefit and often, but not always a health benefit. So I'm going to put this real world right now. <laughs> I'm the guy driving that big boat that blocked the Suez Canal, right? We've just had a <laughs> chat about this, right? <laughs> that, that had to be traumatic, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we're going to say to him, it's beneficial for you to probably write about what took place. But there's different ways. I mean, like, that's a major mistake. It's impacted the whole world. It's one guy that's taking all the blame. Yes. How he's going to express that, I have no idea. Lots of people are laughing about it. So, it like, I would, I mean, I don't even know who the dude is at the moment. I know. Poor Suez Canal guy. (laughs) (laughs) But but if he was to start journaling about his experience, I mean, we were talking about this, that it would have had to have taken place really slowly, right? Yes. Right, those ships do not, they move, well, they move quickly for what they are, but actually to turn takes quite a while. There's a lot of mass Austin <laughs> Powers style thing is what I'm imagining with the yeah. rollers slowly coming at you it's like the hour-long process of this boat crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, like, I can't even begin to imagine what might have happened up on the bridge it's like we're going to block the Suez Canal like like, <laughs> like like who do you tell for a start who would be the authority on that and then like, what, what on earth? Like, I tend to break stuff down into like a gold, silver and bronze kind of <laughs> situation. So gold, like I learned this in, in on the front line that when we were picking up casualties, we had like the platinum minutes, golden hour and silver and bronze stuff. So this guy is <laughs> driving. So with what I'm saying, why I'm tying this back to writing about it, it was, was I picked up through the literature that there was a difference in outcomes between writing about the facts and writing about the emotion. Absolutely. And so, so if this guy was just to write, this is what happened, he wouldn't do a particularly good job of expressing his, his emotions in the moment 
and the trauma would probably sit unprocessed. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was really interesting that it goes along with that, you, you have to disclose some emotion in, in the writing. That yeah. seems critical. Yeah, it can't just be fact. But one of the things I thought was really cool was some of the research showing how the structure of writing about stressful or traumatic experiences changed over time. Yes, that is very cool. It did involve having a more coherent way of writing about it. So it's not necessarily the same as facts, but it was like mm -hmm. having a really clear description of what happened, having it sort of logically joined together in a coherent way, basically putting it into a nice story package along with the emotional experience of it was more powerful like that yeah changed. and the time you couldn't just if you just wrote your expression of that event once or those feelings once or this this thing once what what would happen was you would probably ease and feel less stress about it the emotional burden would come out on paper but as you're writing over it over time what's happening is the story is becoming integrated inside of the person's system somehow they don't quite understand the mechanism for healing for that yet, but there's something to do with the story itself changing as it's rewritten. Yes. And that that creates development. And then there was there was this really interesting thing I've picked up on this as well about words. And so when so there was something about how if people are just writing about one thing like facts, they tend don't tend to enter into emotional language. Mm hmm. And if people are told to just write about emotions and the event, they may remain in a particular set of emotions. Very and that that can trigger, which I found was really a, a non-scientific word, but like that can uh, lead the person. Like there was site, there was an actual piece in the report that said one of the papers that said when people in the group only wrote about the emotions in the event, they actually presented more to the doctor. They got ill. Yeah. And yeah. it was because they were staying in this type of negative loop. Well, it, well, you know, the, this wasn't in what we were reading today, but um, you'll know from PTSD literature yeah. um, that memory is constructive. Right. Like we don't have a memory that then we call up each and every time. We make it again. And it tends to be pretty stable in how we make it again. Yeah. But it does change. And so rehashing events with the emotion yeah it's reconstructing the actual memory in a healthier way absolutely um but i i thought that was a really good point about just getting stuck in the emotion without linking it back to the experience it never resolves no that that there is so and so the group that did both actually had great outcomes so the group that but they also, there was something in there as well about the element of creative writing. So it wasn't the structure in which the writing came out that mattered. So somebody could be writing a poem, they could, mm. but the poem has got some factual information or some metaphorical information. And the, it is that is moving emotion through the person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the event of doing that is much more um, beneficial to the person then kind of like this and I, I see this a lot in journaling I talk to people a lot because when people come to me I, I sort of say have you thought about journaling yeah and a lot of people will say to me I did it it didn't make me feel good and that's because I think journaling hasn't necessarily been taught and it hasn't <clears throat> it hasn't been able it hasn't been able to move with like a creative yeah. writing story element so much and so the person's pouring out their heart and soul and their pain and that's like evoking more it's supporting yeah. what they're going through well that was one of the other things i think it's important if you're gonna go into journaling to know what to expect yeah. and one of the things to expect is that it's gonna feel bad to write about traumatic and stressful experiences. So the act of actually doing the writing, especially if it was done across time, it doesn't feel good on those early sessions. You do bring up all those negative emotions, 
but by linking them together with the more coherent uh, narrative, it just seems to quiet down that memory. Right, so okay. Session doesn't feel good, but over time you feel better because this unresolved thing isn't clattering around in your head so much. It's almost like, you know, when you get a song stuck in your head. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and you can have, you can forget about it for hours or days sometimes, but then it'll come back with no phenomena. Oh my God. It's for the rest of the day. <laughs> my kids know it too. So they'll I love the, I love the Muppets. But they, they were brilliant at that. They were absolutely brilliant yeah. at creating loops. Loops. So you get a thing stuck in your head. You forget about it. When it comes back, it means that little fragment has still been going around in your brain. That little bit of energy is still kicking around in there and it re-expresses. That's like these events and their emotions that get stuck with us. So one way to get songs out of your head, <laughs> which I've learned, uh, is is if you have a short, you know, like little jingles sometimes have just like a couple little notes with them. Like we have one in America that's by Menon and it's like at the end of all the commercials by Menon or you have something like just a little fragment, try to get that stuck in your head. It has a clear beginning and end and it's very short. And it oh, it's, it's not looping. I feel like another way to do that. I mean, it comes from <clears throat> the NLP world and it's to run things backwards. Ooh. So it's to it, it it just to jumble things. And that's that also is a really, really I often people have a narrative that runs from start to finish or start to middle and start to not knowing where the end is. Uh-huh. uh-huh. If someone's having a real like th these are the things that I think need to be played with more in the world of healing. Tell the story backwards. That's brilliant. Tell it backwards from where you are now to what happened and write that down. You know what's fascinating? You just made me think about that because even with the best will in the world, we go through memories kind of start to finish. Things happen and interrupt us. We're rehearsing the beginning and middle way more often than we're getting to rehearse the end. And if there's something important about completing this narrative, you're exactly right. We never kind of get to like the meat of it or we less often get to that. Or we get stuck in the most painful parts yeah. and that becomes like this deep focus. And so, and the words and the language all build. But mm. if someone, it would be a very, okay, what happened last? It's the weirdest fucking question going. Yeah, but that's great. It interrupts. Total interrupts the momentum, the whatever structure that you've already built that's not good. Yeah. And then if there's something to be gained from taking it backwards, mm. right? Liars can never tell a story backwards. Of course. Oh my God. That's so cool. I know. <laughs> like it's it's very useful. Like, like to know things like this because. Not that I'm seeking out, but I'm seeking out when people are telling themselves the truth. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Like, what is the truth here? What is your memory giving you? What is structurally real? And what is perceived as an untruth, but it's holding you in a painful position? Yeah. So, but a lot of it, what we're going to in here today is like being able to do this on your own. The, the whole thing about rogue therapy is that sometimes we need someone to help us. Sometimes being a rogue, doing it differently is the source to getting yourself better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or actually like improving your worldview, your life, how you're observing things, how you're feeling things, your lived experience. I, yeah, well, you just made me realize one of the coolest things about this literature that we haven't sort of said explicitly is that nobody has to look at anything you've written. No, oh, was, I've got that in big words, disclosure, <laughs> right? Disclosure. It's so, it's such an important feature of writing. So like I, you, I do this thing with people where they audio journal to me and I know it's always so clunky at the beginning because they know I may listen to it, I may not. And the reason that I'm doing that is to see how they're disclosing stuff about themselves to themselves in a journal format, because sometimes it needs tweaking. Once it gets going, 
it's it's an absolute um it it's so what tends to happen is i have to i withdraw and i say okay got this now you're doing it and i know that they've created a structure and an order in which they can yeah. self-triage all the time and once they're doing it it like the disclosure piece is so hard for some people because like they just they don't know like sometimes they'll they'll actually say bye to me at the end and i always find that quite I'm just like, this isn't for me. <laughs> I just, I'm just here to make sure that they, that they don't, they don't, like loads of people do it. And, and it, I think it's always really polite, but where, where the power in disclosure is like, sometimes we need to tell someone else. We have yeah. to, we have to. And uh, like, I find this a funny word to use, but it's almost like we have to fractal. We have to express the energy of the emotion mm -hmm. towards mm -hmm. someone else yep. because to hold it is too much. Yeah. And Absolutely. actually utilizing that other person's um, like visual field, utilizing their expressions, utilizing their body language to then add a layer to what yep. we're trying to understand for ourselves. I read in a, uh, book the other day um about um stress and burnout um, oh cool but which one was that is that the burnout the emily nagoski who yeah um i've got it, to get onto that i've heard that's a really good book it just has so much so this is my second time listening through it and now i'm aware of the fact i lost my train of thought it's okay so <laughs> we were in disclosure um and this Right. Um, no, just thinking about there's so many independent effects going on with this journaling. So sometimes it can be an act of disclosure. Sometimes it is just um, needing to get the energy out. Mm. Sometimes it is needing to restructure the narrative. There's so many different elements of it that can be going on. But the social, that social regulation going to seek other people to help us, it's uh, I, it's just such a part of being human. I, I think that we um, kind of feel like we have to be doing it on our own. If I have to go tell somebody else about it, I'm just unloading on them or something. And it's like, that's a valid one as well. It really is. And what always astounds me is when I ask people, have you spoken to anyone else about this? And they say yes. And they start telling me the people they told. I'm just a bit like, why did you go to that person? Like, what, what, so, like, I don't, there's, there's just these funny things that humans do sometimes. So they don't they don't come to someone who's trained to listen here and not interfere. My God, I should make that a t-shirt. And like, <laughs> <laughs> right? And they go to someone else that that just crushes like their sense of self. They get criticized. They they like and and. There's these other layers coming in, and it, it's just like, why, why would you try and even talk that through? But there are other people out there that are really good. But if you journal, the only person that you're kind of having that conversation with is yourself, and you can have it. You, you can use it as a time machine. I love this. Mm -hmm. So you can you like time and space is not relatable to memories. Okay. So mm -hmm. if you're journaling and you want to talk about something that happened to you in your childhood, you can reflect with your adult mindset, but you can talk about the events and what you thought were the emotions the child was going through that's you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like, like this three way thing going on where you're helping like the inner child, like you're seeing it from her perspective. Mm -hmm. You can even invoke by looking at how she observed the world, what height she was at, what she was looking up to the expressions, you can get into the dialogue of what the child was feeling. And then you can take all your future learning or like what was your past learning. Yeah. So there's two ways you can look at it and, and support the experience. If that hasn't given you this enormous body of information to go to that event with, that's what this can do. That's what's really powerful about this stuff is that it, there's no limit to how you can express stuff on paper. Absolutely. And if it, it doesn't seem to have a downside, really. I mean, no, that, I've, 
I did find one and it made me laugh a lot. Wait, oh, yeah, I, was you, right? I was reading through one study and they were really scrabbling around for like limitations. And um, oh, right, so at least one study has reported potential harmful effects of expressive writing for adults in the immediate wake of a divorce. <laughs> 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 when I read that I was like could you imagine okay two people separating let's get them to journal about it like it's not gonna be pleasant no that's right? gonna be amazing <laughs> what but so I would be that, means that. that a longitudinal one did they do the yeah. follow-up that would have been much more that would have definitely like to actually see how the narrative moves but also they'd be like a further body of information because there's that adjustment period, isn't there too? Like yeah. everything settling in, new lives forming, all the emotions that the person's going through, grief, sadness, stress, anger, mm -hmm. um, like a liberation, whatever was coming out of those things. And then there's all the feelings throughout the kids. I couldn't think of a better time to start journaling. Well, th this is what I was thinking because um, in one of the other papers, they were talking about um, sort of emotional differences and how it might affect the writing. And um, for people who felt a lot of hostility, it was even more beneficial for them than people who were low in hostility. Okay. So there was something about the extent to which you had a really big negative emotion to start with. But this one looked at it over time. So I would be curious if it was for the recent divorce, if it's the proximity to that event. Yeah. You're going to be at such a negative, intense, yeah. emotional place. Maybe it is. And like the internal, the internal story for someone, even though there's all this stuff going on outside, hmm. like that's like we, we, we're constantly in that communication with ourselves. We're inside the internal, which is dealt, dealt with in one side of our brain. And like the external, like understanding, which is dealt mm. with another side. And it's when the two of those mean that we get sort of integration of our understanding. Right. So like that's how we're building our cognition about what's happening to us. And that is the, yeah. And that's potentially the process that I'm wondering if there's just, there's going to be a time, not a time limit. There's going to be only so fast you can make that happen. Right. Like yeah. The writing in that journaling process, I'm sure would consolidate that a bit, but I'm guessing there's just a level of just raw physiology after, you know, I think that we've all experienced. Oh, yeah. And big. so, so that, that singular benefit that we spoke about, touch, just even just writing stuff down and getting your emotions on paper. Yeah. Like there has, like, I think, like, I think that there's an important triage effect that should always occur to stop yeah. that negative, like, yeah. Ill, like the, you know, that they found in the studies when if they only wrote about the emotions they got unwell. I think yeah. that's because you need to bring like the logic base back in and sort of do some sensible questioning. Maybe if it was structured in the way of um, encouraging people to find the meaning and the coherence, like, as a prompt, it yeah. would be to see if that helped people not just get lost in the mire, um, to give them a bit more direction. Well, there's like not talking, like I picked this up in one and said, well, not talking is a form of inhibition. And, yes. right? and so I've seen that play out in the office as and it comes up somatically so people's voices are starting to their voice boxes become very tight mm -hmm. their mouths are going dry so there's there's a underlying um adrenal effect going on because their secretions are drying up right yeah, yeah, so yeah. even so they're thinking the thought it's causing the body to react again yeah. the response like so the reason i'm talking about spit and secretions when i used to kayak years ago one of our general rules before we went down a river was it's so simple to keep in your head is don't run if you can't spit oh nice yeah because it was a quick check to work out where your head was before mm -hmm. you did a section mm -hmm. and if you were so adrenalized that you were like locked in your visual field and you stopped spitting 
you're you're up far yep. too high and your reactions are going to be you're not going to process in the same way mm. and so if somebody comes in sits down with me there's no lion in the room there's no river in the room, there's no monster in the room and they're telling me a story and i hear their vocal cords tighten and get like much more vibrating they lose the tone in their voice, their diaphragm's gone tight. And now I can see they're swallowing all the time. They're not spitting. That is the inhibition showing up. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a physical price. So not, yeah. not talking is a form of inhibition. And what if you just write stuff down, you are talking, you're talking for your inner voice, mm -hmm. which interestingly like i read this in a journaling book you should never listen to it <laughs> like, right because it it changes all the time but the pictures in your brain are a bit more fixed right right and those are the things that people can dip into on paper um i mean i don't know what do you think about that whole like the inhibition piece what do you what do you get from that i think that that's that's just another one of the fundamental components of it. So I guess I'm looking at journaling as being like a tool that works in many cases because there's a lot of different cognitive and emotional processes involved. Right. One of the important ones is this release of inhibition that if you have a big thing running, I mean, this even works. We know this from positive things as well. If somebody has to keep a really huge positive secret that doesn't feel great either i mean you might have uh, a different personality that's but a really good point you know like we so it, it's not even just the negative emotion associated with it that's further depletion of sort of your resources but um that release of inhibition i think is a useful tool to remember is always available because that can work even when you don't have the social, it, you know, we talked about there's different kinds of disclosure and disclosure to a person is a good, useful thing to engage in if when that's good for you, but just getting it out, just getting it out, a, you know, a story, a poem, a, whatever it is. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the things that isn't necessarily delivered a lot is the structure of talking through time. Mm. And so when people journal, they tend to become very now, or like I said, you can use it to go backwards, but what they might not be writing is the story for the future. Okay. And so like you were saying, we need the beginning and an ending of some description. When, when, we, when someone's in a, in a mindset of trauma, the focus is often past, this is what happened to me. This is what this means about me now. And this is what I worry about for the future. Ah. So what you get is, and inside of all of that is the unspoken emotion of anger. Mm -hmm. shame, shame, regret, guilt, remorse, anger. Mm -hmm. The thing about being angry is because it's adrenalizing emotion. It's a now motion. It's now. Yes. So, because someone might be so uncomfortable inside the story that's happened to them. And mm -hmm. we're not really taught, we're not taught as girls how to deal with anger. We're not taught as, it's not, there is, I can't think of one lesson throughout my entire time at school, that, apart from PE, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing if you got angry, mm. right? But where it was appropriate to discuss, embody, express, Anger. And they, yeah. I mean, they've got drama in the curriculum now, but even then, like, because the emotion itself is seen as a bad thing. Yes, absolutely. When, when you actually embody it, what might happen is the person sees themselves as a bad thing, whereas the emotion is the emotion they're them. Yes. And there has to be separation. No one's teaching that. No. Right? So it's a huge amount of energy in a person's state. And a safe place to put it is on paper, but they can reflect back on themselves. This is what happened to me. This is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling sad. Mm. I've got grief. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling remorseful. I've got regret. And those, all those things sit in different places. Mm -hmm. Then there's the big one, isn't there? How do I write about shame? Yeah. How do I write about shame? How yeah. do I write that I am ashamed of what happened to me? How do I, how do I create? And then, 
how the hell, what do I do about my future now? I've got all this stuff that's about me. Yeah. Right. And like what has to happen is there has to be a mechanism where the person goes through it and understands how, like, what do they want yeah. for their future? What does, what does having all of this experience in you give you as a resource for your future? That's part of the meaning making as well. Yeah. And part of the um, sort of positive reappraisal of a situation, no matter how harmful it might have been then, to make it somehow, somehow where you are now, you have a resource that you didn't have before. Yeah. Going forward and to be explicit about yeah. that. Yeah, like grit, courage, resilience, mm. um, like uh, endurance, like all these, but look at those words. They're big fucking words. Grit yeah. isn't four letters. Endurance, massive. So yeah. like there's a social economical thing going on. Like yeah. are those words expressed in a particular group of people? Full stop. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think the place that they show up in is popular music. Mm-hmm. So in, in sort of um, like rap and like that you start to, like if you listen to artists like that, that is all writing in the expressed word. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, and so like they, it's like popular culture helps, like William Shakespeare helped like writing, like all Jane Austen helped all of this because they were writing about models as in mm-hmm. like ways to heal through mm-hmm. their archetypes in their books. I think you're absolutely right. I learned so much about being a person from reading. I think I, in my high school years, I think. Jo- like- Joseph Fiennes, like, you know, uh, like, like, you know, um, Joseph Campbell, sorry. Oh, like, Joseph Campbell. Like, I read- he, oh. un- so much of his work is because it's all about the stories. Yes. And those, those stories in time, I know this is off point about journaling, but your journal is your hero's journey. It is. It is your meaning making. And it's the way our, our, our stories are, of course, very culturally embedded. The types of stories that we use to make sense of our lives are largely going to be Western I, the other day I found the original Gruffalo story I was so shocked like so the Gruffalo is really famous everyone knows it don't they but the is it like the Gruffalo's following the mouse that's a yeah. story about a tiger and a fox from a Chinese proverb yeah it's an old old fable and I was like there's me like wow they wrote this story and wow and I was like you just changed the characters <laughs> I was like, it broke me a little bit. I was like, why do I worry about making stuff if this can happen? <laughs> I was just like, no way. And I preferred the Chinese proverb by a million miles. I don't know if my kids would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's a great, it's a great story. I love the Gruffalo. But I just was like, this isn't new. Damn it. No, there are important differences though, which I think is really cool. There's actually, love Joseph Campbell to death. A lot of mythologists criticize him Mm. for looking at the similarities without being critical of where they actually meant to quite different things. I'm like, come on, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to be a scholar. Oh, his body of work is absolutely massive. And he followed his bliss around the globe, looking at how other populations live. If you can't gain stuff from that, then like, Everyone's got an opinion. Was, there is like a seat, there's a massive, almost like an encyclopedia of books that came bef- around the same time or before him. It's called The Golden Something. I can't remember, which was another writer that was doing really similar work and collating all the stories throughout, like through, really? yeah. I'll have to, I can't remember where I found that information. It's a huge body of books. I'm just, I was obsessed with mythology as a kid, like always been obsessed with stories. And I do, I agree completely is that we, we need to tell stories about ourselves. That's yeah. part of what this is about. Tell a good story about yourself. This Figure- is, this is embedded in time when we could, we didn't have words, we had pictures. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's such an important thing to remember when you're trying to deal with traumatic information, when you're trying to deal with any information, when you're trying to come through, when you're trying to, uh, uh, like, 
like embody like a really positive experience or you're trying to overcome something that negatively influenced you or happened to you in your life mm. like what what you're often writing about is the picture you can see uh-huh uh-huh and so and that we when we didn't have actual words to create language like you, you think about the aboriginal paintings they put pictures up mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they and that was about teaching and so something within your mind is going to be so old and so like it that the the machinery behind this is is gone through like humans the whole time absolutely and uh, so as we get older we we process stories totally different to children mm. um and like one of the things that when children are learning what they will do from an event is they will repeat the mistake without any shame until they get the grasp of the right thing yeah and I think that's sometimes what is going on in that flashbacking moment. The mistake of what we believe has happened to us is repeating in a, in a way, but we haven't got the ability to have the childlike curiosity to just go through it and go through it and go through it until we get the thing we're meant to learn. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes that process can feel really wooly and- Well, it's painful. I've been in there. I've been in there. I've, I had, like, I definitely can talk from a position of like having like the repeated nightmares or having like the, the reality shift where I wasn't quite sure where I was. And, you know, like, like, like bridging between worlds and thinking and knowing I'm not there, but it feels like I'm there. And that's even worse because it's like an invisible event yeah and, and how i came to to writing about all of that initially i just wrote about it i wrote about it from a position of this is what i went through this is what i felt this is and, and what was going on it was chunking so it would chunk into real yes. world yes. felt experience real world felt experience and like the words around what i was using like there were so many hurts metaphors like we haven't even gone into that yet but like the metaphorical structure of words that you use always has a deeper meaning to your subconscious but i had i didn't have the language to explain that i felt like i was being shredded into a million pieces that's mm. how i but so what i've actually talked about is uh, the feeling is the shredding the million pieces is the separation so right. Anyone that's worth their salt knows that they're dealing with someone that has a completely fractured sense of self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And so, and also, you don't have to be a fucking expert to say you must feel broken. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. like, like you don't, like you only have to go towards the idiom of the, the actual metaphor itself. The choice was made. That seemed like the most appropriate way to express things out of all the choices. Available. Yeah, and, and what's, what's going on? But when people start to heal, what happens is they will write a mechanism for healing the metaphor. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, it has to work in that domain. Yeah. My heart broke. I found a way to stitch it back together. I had to put it back together. Yeah, I have to send you a lot of books. Right? So go into this. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so within journaling, what we the creative writing element is the healing piece. That's it. Because you have to creatively come up with a solution for the pain you are writing about either physically or metaphorically. The physical solution is real world. And so often our brains just can't do it because of our reality. But if we can heal ourselves in the other yeah. world, inside of our imagination, we will find a way in the real world to find that. In the more like, well-built your emotional vocabulary is boom boom boom, boom. all the time do that but the really freaking weird thing about this it is in no there's science behind this there is actually like an, a good bit of evidence and i don't get it <laughs> but to show that it doesn't matter what sort of social economic group you're going in that when things start to get bad everyone everyone drops down to the same amount of words regardless of education yeah yeah so somewhere in there we collapse our ability to express ourselves absolutely 
and that changes what everything looks like as well. It's so, how you're talking so, about your current experiences. So actually knowing that is really useful because the tool that you can have is something that has more words for describing your experience. Absolutely. Because what you want to do is get into the habit of expansion. Yeah. Right. No. But if it's broken because you've gone through stuff, you have to put in an adjunct to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So one of the tools that I give everyone is the mood meter. Right. Oh, yes. Fantastic. So it, I think it was from Stanford University. It, I cannot remember the guy, the scientist or the researcher that came up with this, but he wrote a book called A Permission to Feel. His name's Mark something. I never can remember his last name. And um, the mood meter is built up. This is, and it's a journaling app if you, if you use it to its full potential. Mm. So you open up the app. And, and this, I always, I always offer this to people that are trying to get through stuff because it helps rebuild their vocabulary and it matches it to a felt sense. And so you've got those two worlds meeting and then they've got an option to write in the app. And this, bear in mind, all this data has been collected, um, but it's, it's going to help other people um, that like they've got a, a place to put a sentence and it will tip you on what you can do next. So you open the app and it's got it's the whole the whole of your phone or tablet would be filled by four screens of which they're different colors like red, yellow, green and blue. And each area is broken down as you tap on it into four into I think it's like it might be like 20 more squares and each one of those squares has a corresponding emotion. So it can be like if you're in the red, that's obviously high energy um, mood, but angry <laughs> or in there so like you'd move yeah. around and you've got things like dissatisfied um angry like there's different words that you can pick and look how narrow i am right now in there no, but it's really nice because when you are in that place where you're feeling really narrowed just you don't know yeah and you get the different words and you go i know i'm feeling like really intense and not so great and you get yeah. a whole it helps you learn the it's a superb app it's such mark, I, I just got it it's mark bracket from yale yeah sorry thank you like and then um he so he i think he did that research with the other university though i think because when i heard the book i think that's what it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, yeah. but they move around don't they they're like ding, 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 ding. right so and like, I, I found that I was much more receptive to using it when I wasn't happy. So if I was in the blue, mm -hmm. and because one of the things that I, one of the pillars that I operate from as, as someone who works with people that have stories to tell is I never, ever give out a tool. I'm not willing to use myself. Mm -hmm. And if I haven't tried it, I'm not willing to say, give this a go. I don't think it's fair. I just, I just yeah. think like, if you're not actually getting in there with your clients, and I don't mean like diving into depression or anxiety, but if you're not able to feel what they are going through and then, and then, because how can you be creative about the tool that you then give them? And how can you know how effective it is if you haven't even tried it yourself? You know, I, like, I really, I really do think that therapists could be more, more available to actually, like, if you're going to give someone journaling, journal yourself. Yeah. I, I do think about that, having a person who's been through CBT and the endless amount of worksheets you get sometimes through some of those programs, not knocking CBT, but um, I did just, just thinking about from a, a, an assessment point of view, like, like, it's a lot of that, time. Doing that's got to be fast as well. Like, I, I mean, like people have real life, so like making it efficient. Yeah. So that, I think that's why I always move people to the audio journal because they commit they just they do it and I think the written word does connect to the kinesthetic so like the moving sure. the feeling of the pen but it's sometimes creating the quietness that's required to write isn't always a possibility but someone's got their phone on them 24 well let's say they've got it on them let's knock out eight hours because they go to mm -hmm. sleep it's right next to the head though mm. right they can do a walking journal they can they can just check in. What has been really interesting from my point of view is when people check in <laughs> throughout the day makes a difference. Oh, okay. 
So particularly when it's been women that have been journaling to me, when they check in at night, they're, they're already cooked, they're fatigued. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they bring in a level of like fatigue at that point. And so that's the underwriting mood is I'm tired. <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, yeah, so the mood me was broken up by mood, emotion, and then um, so so you're you're checking in with like the a mood is the overarching thing about your day the yeah. overarching sense and and that can run for a few hours I think that's such an important thing to get into people because people will mark a mood and they'll use it for a week I had a really bad week at work are you telling me that your entire week was yeah. bad yeah well no but I had to notice when it changes unless you're explicitly tuned into it. That's what journaling can do for you because we get a better feel for time. Yeah. Things that therapists should be doing with their clients all the time are creating mechanisms in which they understand time. That's an excellent point in terms of reflection and the idea of memory being constructive as well. If I'm journaling every night before I go to bed, unloading the day I'm tired I'm annoyed about something whatever if I reflect back on that journal I'll see a year of me being tired and annoyed and whatever I mean hopefully not every night but like you know what I mean I'm biasing my own by mood and time so if you're not working with people about this don't expect to get change don't Mm -hmm. expect it you're like go away go away (laughs) like because you're not you're not you're not like the the components that build a person we time is a man-made construction like journaling can help us because I said it's the time machine it doesn't apply but when someone's got trauma their time system is fucked it's fucked up right because they're continuously running through like this remuneration of an event that could have happened 10 years ago yeah what's happened in the last 10 years to them you have yeah you have the way you're experiencing the world now is less in touch yeah like there's a split and that and that's the sort of stuff that's like can be developed through the writing and like and that and like creating like these creative mechanisms in the writing to deal with time like like actually writing about a time machine and what it means you've identified so many ways you could add tiny bits to this sort of yeah work process structure it a little bit more with a little more of the mechanism in mind like yeah like we are not thinking creatively in terms of healing at all we are thinking about healing and we're thinking about change but we're not thinking about how yeah it's the process because that's where the mechanism is like you have to know how you get from a to b like i wouldn't be surprised if the time like I don't know this I will go and find this out like what part of the brain what side of the brain and what region of the brain deals with time the concept of time whether it's dealing with time as pictures whether it's dealing with time as numbers and if someone is in like the trauma mindset they're like they're right prefrontal cortex it's all pictures 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 emotion limbic it's right Mm -hmm. side of the brain it's right side of the brain so creating balance in the person might mean that you have to develop a system in the left to integrate that person it's probably going to be i mean it's probably like we're, we're totally off yeah. topic which is what happens in oh. here but i know that therapists are going to listen to this podcast and i it needs to be thought-provoking that when you're giving out journaling you are thinking about how you can enable that person to get the most yeah. from it right yeah. <laughs> i know so much so much so much yeah so like so first thing if you are starting journaling I would suggest you get the mood meter and you actually get involved with it and actually maybe do it just before you start writing it's so clever because what it actually does is it creates it it fires up the two sides of the the two points in the brain the one that's dealing with the outside world and the one that's dealing with the inside world. That's what the felt sense is, checking in with yourself. So the second you start to write, you're in, you're now in an associated position from where you're writing. You're not, you can choose to move between dissociation and association in your writing as you see yourself, but it gets you in the chair for that moment in the nowness. So I, I think that's a tool. 
we've worked out, haven't we, through chatting today that um, any writing is going to be of use. Yes. From the data. Any writing that is not, that it combines some fact and emotion. Yeah, and that bringing in a creative aspect yes. is, so if you want to write poetry, if you want to write a story, if you want to write a metaphor, that is all a way to support stuff. Something that's really important that was shown up in the data is don't just write about your emotions from a negative point of view. Absolutely. Because that will make you unwell, proven. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the more that you can increase your, I don't know what the posh word for this is, but like the amount of words that you can use to describe emotions. Yeah. Emotional vocabulary. There we go. Thank you. That's why you're here, right? <laughs> like the more that you can begin to expand that, the more you're able to create expression. And there is, they don't know the mechanism yet, but there's something to do with that. And the person's sense of self and wellness those two things are connected. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've done we've done a whirlwind on creative writing. I think I would the only bit the caveat that I would always add is whenever you do do a big piece about yourself, um, and you know I get people to do this, don't you? What fish? Oh, so yeah. so this is a triage mechanism that I'd use, and it's called what fish, and it's called what the fuck is happening. So what if you've written a whole load of stuff about yourself and it's been painful and you've been crying and it's important to triage the, the the actual event of the journaling and you can do it really quickly and it's a couple of questions which are is what I'm saying about myself true is this actually factual and correct and most people get to the true bit and go no it's not true at all <laughs> and they start laughing but um uh, is there what is this? What can I take from this to to enable myself? How can I resource myself from this position? Yeah. And, and just asking yourself those three questions um, is enough to stabilize what you've gone through in the journaling. And it makes it better to come back to it the next day, the next couple of days. Um, the other thing that we showed up in the research that we didn't really talk. Oh, we did. It was right at the beginning is. Doing it multiple times is much more beneficial and effective than just writing down once. So allowing the story to evolve, allowing you to evolve matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I think we've nailed it, Sabrina. Absolutely. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so so if, any, if anyone knows the guy that was driving, I'm assuming it's a man, the big, big yeah. tanker that got stuck on the Suez Canal, if they want to let him listen to this podcast and say that journaling is going to help him, if he's not feeling too great about that experience, just send it his way. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Like, let's put it out there. Now, guy. <laughs> All right. So that's me and Sabrina on the Rogue Podcast. We're going to say bye to you now. So we'll catch you on the flip side. I hope you've enjoyed today, and I hope today has been a use. I know it has been. I know it has been. I'm confident. So see you later, everyone. And bye. Sabrina. So readers, yep. check it out. Yeah, bye. Okay, okay we're, we're good. We're good. <sighs> that was um that was